0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 28 of Think Relevance, the podcast. Uh, A couple quick announcements before we kick the show off, this one with uh, Ben Van Grift, which I thought was really interesting, the more so for being slightly uncomfortable, which is kind of how I like the show sometimes, Uh, but you'll hear more about that in a minute. But like I said, a few quick notes um, around where you'll find Relevancers this month. Uh, Starting with LesConf in Panama City Beach, Florida, from the 11th to the 14th of April 2013. Got a whole big bunch of Relevancers attending. We usually make a strong showing there every year. You'll find Maggie, Ben, Mark, Ryan, Kevin, and Sam all there. You should definitely say hi. I can't imagine it will be that hard to miss since we're there in force. But uh, looking forward to seeing you there. Um, Then in Durham on the 16th, uh, there's the West End Ruby Hack Night. That'll be at Relevance headquarters. Um, On the 23rd of April... Uh, there's the Closure DC Meetup Group. Uh, talked about that a little bit last time on the episode uh, intro here. Uh, unfortunately, I did not make it to the last one. I'm going to try really hard to make it to this one. But um, whether I make it or not, our own Bobby Calderwood will be speaking about Datomic there. Um, we'll also be doing some, some general closure stuff. So it'll be interesting, uh, I think, to be there. Uh, come on by if you're in the DC area. Uh, then on the 25th in Durham, there's the Triangle Closure Meetup, also at Closure HQ. I'll be a few relevancers there. In Columbia, at Converge Southeast, you can find Ben Vancrypt. That's the 25th and 26th. And then in Portland, Oregon, uh, we've got uh, RailsConf, and our very own Yoko Harada will be speaking on there uh, about using Datomic uh, within Ruby and Rails, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, You'll also find Jamie and Lake attending the conference, so lots of relevances there as well. Um, I think that's it. That There's a lot going on in April, but uh, plenty of chances to come on down and say hi. Always super interested to hear from people. Really enjoyed meeting uh, some listeners at Closure West, uh, so definitely say hi, and everybody else would love to talk to you, too. All right, let's get on to the episode. Thanks for listening. Rollins the podcast. Today is Friday, February 1st, 2013, and I have the pleasure today of speaking with Ben Van Griff. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thank you for having me. All right. So uh, we always play some intro music on the way in here. We let our guest pick it. What would you like us to play today?
1: Beat on the Brat by the Ramones.
0: All right. <laughs> you were ready with that one. <laughs> I was.
1: gave it some thought.
0: You're a Ramones fan? You like the Ramones? I am. That's cool. It's, uh, So... I uh, Sometimes I ask people, does beat on the brat have any particular meaning for you? or?
1: No, I just really like the uh, the rhythm
0: and beat of the song. Cool. All right, good deal. All right, well, uh, I won't uh, delay too much longer because uh, there, there was a really good reason for having you on the show other than the fact that, um, you know, you're an interesting guy. Um, but you had an idea. Uh, you said, hey, Craig, would, would it be interesting to you, to your listeners, for us to do a show where um, – you talk to someone who is a relatively uh recent comer to closure Uh, you know, obviously we have quite a few people who are as experienced as almost anyone in the world with closure but but you have um only recently begun to um gain expertise in that technology, and I thought that is a fantastic idea. I would love to hear about your experience in that in that realm. So first of all, thanks for the idea. It's a good one.
1: I thought it would be, you know, worth hearing about.
0: Yeah, because I think uh you know closure is a lo- young language, and a lot of people are very interested in it, but um, maybe aren't spending all day, every day working in it like a lot of us here are. so um, So I think it's a great idea. Um, so I don't know. maybe you can kind of let's start off with like, your background. Like, what, where, when you come to closure, what direction are you coming from?
1: So I come primarily from a web applications focus. This has been the focus of my career for the last you know, gojillion years. Uh, and when uh, I heard about Clojure, mostly through uh, people at Relevance who were so incredibly excited about it, uh, and I started to find out more, it kind of harkened back to my academic days at the computer science department. And I remembered looking at LISPs at the time, uh, thinking, hey, that's neat. Um, what can I do with it? And in the intervening period, the answer was largely nothing—nothing nothing useful, uh, given my area of focus. So, uh, most of the time, uh, most of my time over the past few years has been spent working on Rails applications, or Ruby applications, or JavaScript uh, in the browser, things like this. So, that's where I'm coming from. That's the direction that I approach Closure from.
0: Okay. So you were, you were no stranger at all to the dynamic aspects of closure. Like that wasn't weird to you at all. No. Okay. So, I mean, obviously you work at relevance and that was a a pretty good, a a pretty obvious reason that you would have come to closure. As you said, you saw other people around using it. Was there, was there anything about like, like, what was it? What was the real impetus for you finally saying, okay, uh, this looks pretty cool. It's time for me to make a serious effort and learn it. How did that go for you?
1: That's an interesting question as it kind of crept up on me. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a conscious decision on my part to uh, to make a serious learning effort in, in Clojure. Uh, just kind of an increasing, slowly building pressure. And then I find myself in it. Working in it, working with it, uh, using the tool set and thinking uh, after a certain amount of study in Clojure and Scheme and some other Lisp variants thinking functionally. When I realized about halfway through last year, a lot of my approach to Ruby had become uh, functional in thinking as much as object-oriented in thinking. I was like, yeah, maybe I should pay more attention to, to closure, as things are becoming easier to implement in my head in Clojure than in Ruby.
0: Sure. Okay, that makes sense. Cause I had a similar experience. I was a C# guy, and I learned closure, and my C# changed. <laughs> Actually, to the extent where uh, the group I was working with at the time said, "Dude, your code looks weird." <laughs> um, all right, so so yeah, so I guess it sounds like it kind of stuck up on you a bit. And also, I mean, I think work-wise too, right? We're seeing a an ever increasing amount of closure coming in the door. To the extent where um, it's it's really starting to be uh, uh, what we do, right? I mean, it's it, there's a there's been a big shift in the closure directions that has been going on for maybe two years at Relevance, but has it feels like the weight has really fallen squarely on the closure side of the of the business lately?
1: That's true. Um, though interestingly, uh, all of the work that I've done. At Relevance has been in Ruby or other languages, with the sole exception of around 20 months ago, I was uh, I was working in a Closure project for about four weeks. So all of the things that have come our way have largely fallen outside of my plate, uh, as a, a lot of the folks at Relevance are really excited to work on Closure projects. They request these projects, and and um, the the enthusiasm gains them priority, right? Which is as it should be.
0: Well, so that's an interesting question. I guess I'll jump straight to this one I was going to ask you later. but um, So, you know, you're, you're coming to Clojure. It's, it's relatively new to you. How do you like it?
1: Some dead air here, I think.
0: <laughs> you're thinking, I can tell. Yeah. I, can always, I can always cut that out later or make it longer.
1: <laughs> I like Clojure uh, as it gives me a chance to noodle around and think about problems in different ways. I don't have a ton of experience writing end-to-end applications in Clojure and when I have tried to do this, the tooling that's required and it seems like the initial learning curve and overhead is so high that uh, for the types of things I'm thinking of, I find it hard to uh, approach the problem exclusively in Clojure without a dedicated effort. Uh, I like it. I like working with people who are using it uh, and I enjoy the most getting involved in an already established project with uh, a process already in place for compilation deployment, things like this. Starting from scratch is not necessarily uh, within my skill set at the moment.
0: Yeah, I think that's a real, it's a really, I mean, you know, I don't know if you've ever looked at Chaz Emmerich's, um, I forget, he does a survey every year, the State of Closure Survey. And although it's been getting better year over year, um, definitely, I, I think the complaint, or accusation, ob- observation, whatever it is, um, that there are certain things that are difficult for newcomers to access. And, um, you know, you mentioned tooling. That's one that's been a big, big one on that list is it's totally true. Um, so I did go a little bit more into your your journey here. I mean, uh, and it sounds like you you consider yourself still still starting out. But to the extent that you've you know climbed the learning curve so far, what 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 have you found that's been really helpful to you? Like, what's been the the if you had to point to one thing and say, oh that that really that really got me, that really got me some benefit. What would you what would you list?
1: Number one. The uh, the people that I've worked with at Relevance have been extremely helpful and uh, extremely patient in uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, fail repeatedly, to understand things, and then gently moving me in the right direction uh, uh, when I've been pairing on, on some projects uh, that we have internally. The things that have helped me understand things the most, uh, believe it or not, uh, that contributed the most were uh, the book The Little Schemer. Mm-hmm. That helped. Moving through that series of books was uh, extremely useful. The Land of Lisp as a book was, uh, was really good. Uh, but I learned by doing and failing. So uh, opening up a REPL, uh, playing around for a couple of hours here and there uh, when I had the time. Without a real focus in mind, without a real uh, destination. Just wandering around, seeing what was there, uh, reading through documentation, reading through the Closure source code seeing how these things really uh, really work in practice.
0: Hmm. Um, there,
1: just, so ahead. there isn't really one thing. There's an, an ecology of noodling around and playing around uh, that has been the most useful, Th- these things in total.
0: Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, so uh, <laughs> the, the constant debate is, I'm jumping in, should I also take the hit and learn Emacs at the same time? So like, you know, uh, which for a lot of people is an unfamiliar editor as well as an unfamiliar language. How did you approach that? Or, or were you already facile with Emacs or you're not using Emacs, or what was your path there?
1: Last year, uh, last summer, I decided completely independent of any uh, closure learning that I would exclusively use Emacs for 60 days. That first week and a half was real slow. <laughs> uh, But in the interest of becoming a better pair, becoming uh, more facile with Emacs, and uh, knowing that I would eventually be using it to uh, develop in an environment almost to the degree of Emacs being an IDE for Clojure, I figured I better get my chops straight before I try to dig hardcore into the language.
0: Okay. Okay. So, so, Emacs was not that big a deal for you, and you are it sounds like you are using Emacs for closure, so
1: yes, I am um I would not call myself skilled uh I've been using Vim for around twenty years, but even uh after twenty years of vim, I still feel like I know maybe thirty percent of its capability, so I've barely scratched the surface of Emacs uh, getting around moving files around um uh, coding in it, running a REPL inside of Emacs, things like that, these, these are things I can do. I know there's a lot more power there that I'm not taking advantage of, but these things will grow in time.
0: I think Emacs is one of those things where, and, and I've used Emacs for kind of a similar amount of time to what you've used VI for, you know, a long time. And, uh, you know, I feel like I've pro- certainly progressed a number of levels, but I feel like it's one of those things where you know, you you progress a level, and then you look up, and there's always three more levels, no matter what level you get to. You just take another step. Oh, look, there's another one. So, it's sort of an, an infinite learning curve on on Emacs, I think.
1: Yeah, the old adage applies to nearly everything. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, so I I asked you before. I said, you know, do you like it? But I, I want to come back and spin that a little bit differently, um, which is. Actually, a couple questions. One is, um, is there what? What has been the biggest kind of pleasant surprise about about closure for you?
1: How much you can get done in three or four lines of code? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's it, right? Once you begin thinking that way, uh, a casual reading of the code isn't necessary. Necessarily, something you could just walk up on or show a friend of yours and say, "Hey, this is intelligible." Um, but once you understand uh, the language, and you can unpack the the dense uh, the denseness that is there, you can you can unpack it somewhat uh, just upon a sight reading. A lot can happen in a really small amount of space. It's concise. It's clean, and there's a lot of opportunity for uh, richness that you don't see in a lot of
0: languages. So you're, I mean, you're a Ruby guy, and Ruby has a similar reputation for for conciseness, maybe not conciseness, but expressivity. And, and I'm wondering what you think. Is there like, is there value? Because you know, you, people play code golf, right? How small can I express this particular idea? But but what's the to you? What's the value of that? Of like being able to say a lot. In a small amount of, for lack of a better term, screen space. Like, why is is that important or is it just kind of nifty?
1: It is nifty. Uh, That's definitely true. Um, It's important in the sense that you can uh, view a lot, for me, you can view a lot more function on the screen at the same time. Uh, I realize, you know, scrolling up and down is easy, but I can take in uh, an entire piece of functionality at a glance. In one file as opposed to skipping around all over the place uh, trying to find um, trying to find the piece of the piece of functionality that i'm looking for i think closure is not as expressive as ruby uh, in the sense that a casual reading of closure is going to be intelligible if you're not already there Uh, if you're not already in line with that mode of thinking. Ruby has the the ability to, um, unless we are getting into metaprogramming or uh, passing blocks around, make things really easy to read and understand, uh, even for people who are really new to Ruby. You can look through the Rails source and uh, when you run into a piece of magic that you don't understand, you go into the source and it it basically makes pretty clean sense all the way down. But that's the ethic of Ruby too. Being expressive isn't just a feature of the language. Uh, Ruby doesn't have to be expressive in any way. Uh, it's kind of a feature of the Ruby community that they want expressiveness and readability uh, baked into the things that they do, by and large.
0: So I'm I'm curious if you think that that is a, f- a facet of familiarity. In other words, if I was a common list programmer and I never learned any an Algol family language, which I would loosely rump, lump Ruby into that. It has a C-like syntax. Um, do you think that would still be true? Or in other words, I'm trying to get at is this idea of readability something that is subjective or objective? Or if it's, uh, I think ahead. in yeah.
1: Ruby's case, it is objective. Um, when I've helped people learn Ruby who didn't have any programming background at all, uh, looking over Ruby source has been, oh yeah, okay, I basically understand What's going on here? This thing follows from that thing, which follows from that thing. And it has to do with the linear approach that uh, software developers take when writing Ruby code. In Clojure, it can be a, uh, a question of depth. So recursion is a common feature. Uh, the destructuring of um, functional arguments aren't easy to extrapolate what's going on upon a first reading. For someone who isn't trained at all in software engineering, uh, or who isn't uh, familiar with Lisp.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. So, uh, so I heard you say it's the it, a part of what you said was it's the linear nature. Do you do you think that that, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. This I want to know your opinion. Is it the case that the part that's that it, let's separate Ruby and closure, but is it just that imperative styles of programming are inherently more readable? Just that's how our brains work? Do you know what I mean by that? Like, if, is it is it a functional versus imperative thing in terms of readability? Or is it or is it something like about the syntax itself? Or what, what's your take on that as a new kind? No, uh,
1: the imperative nature uh, tracks very well with the way that re- we read natural languages. Okay. So we're, you know, we're reading through, you have for lack of a better word, subjects, objects, and verbs, and these things proceed in paragraphs down the page. Um, With a more functionally oriented language, it's not proceeding down the page. It's proceeding into the depth of the functionality. Mm -hmm. Uh, You end up bouncing around more uh, into a long string of methods. Uh, I should say a deep string of methods right, and then coming back out and that's not entirely obvious, given uh at least you know for English speakers uh the way that we tend to process language in general. Our language processing facility is one of our uh, one of our most powerful uh things we learn it at a very young age and it's very hard to shake that method of information processing, whether it's language or numbers and spreadsheets or uh, even our approach to uh, traffic signs and highway navigation, it all stems from the way that we process language uh, at our very core, the, that thing we learned when we were two.
0: Hmm. So uh, this is really interesting. Uh, so would you say that, because earlier you said that uh, as you learned closure, well, I think it was really as you became more comfortable with functional programming, that you, your, your, your Ruby code became more functional in nature did you then observe just kind of testing our hypothesis here did you then observe that your code was written in a way that uh that someone with uh limited programming experience would find harder to understand than something that would maybe be done in a more imperative style oh yes okay so you think so then I, so to bring this back to closure as a newcomer would you say it's fair that because closure has a stronger emphasis on a functional style, that maybe that's the source of you know, requiring you to take a few more steps up the learning curve before it starts to click?
1: Yes, it definitely is. Um, thinking that way feels like thinking sideways at first. Uh, it doesn't track with the way that we process. And My own feeling is that it doesn't track with the way that we process information in general. Uh, that adds to its learning curve. It's not... A massive step for someone with some math training or some computer science training uh, who have seen you know functional decomposition as a matter of their courses of study and has spent some time thinking about this uh, historically for someone who has never approached that type of thinking in any way uh, it can be a daunting thing
0: hmm. so. Uh, I forget, I'm sorry, I've already forgotten the timeline. Did you say that you were already, yeah, I think you said you had already started to code in a functional style, a more functional style at least, and then you moved to Clojure. Um, so obviously you've seen the benefits. So, so from your perspective, like so, like for me, right, when I learned Clojure, I came to it and said, oh, well, the two things that I like most about Clojure are that, or that I think I'm going to like most about Clojure are that it's a lisp and that it has concurrency. Uh, semantics like sent like, like reasonable concurrency primitives. And I was coming from C sharp. So, you know, basically Java uh, type of language. Uh, And and when I got there, what I found was the two things that were most important to me uh, that have, that I've come to value the most are yes, that it's a lisp, but the concurrency stuff, eh, it's good. I'm glad it's there, but I, you know, I don't pull it out very often, but the functional stuff has really been awesome. So, I just like, what's your experience of that been like as you've come to a language that really emphasizes uh, functional programming relative to something like you know C or even Ruby? Has um, that <laughs> has that been a really good thing from your perspective, or just about what you expected, or how'd it go for you?
1: Um, it, it it has been a good thing. When you have object oriented languages, uh, you tend to think in terms of the object, and you you have this 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 conceptual item that can have. Uh, methods and members, and you can accrue state even without realizing it in that item. And it's just, it's natural to do so. It's like, I wanna hang on to this thing and keep it around for a little bit and, and, and do whatever. Thinking in a purely functional style, uh, which is really difficult, but you can approach it with, uh, uh, with closure. Creates a, an emphasis on tidiness. You don't want to leave state-lang around. You don't want to have to uh, track data outside of what it is that you're doing at the moment. And that's it's, – it's, it's clean. It feels sparkly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's you know, the thing that I take away the most, and the reason that it crept back into, uh, into my other languages. I end up keeping fewer things around, uh, not memoizing everything in the world. You know, uh, trying to find a way to keep the the methods that I'm developing uh, as clean and independent of any state as possible.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, so kind of circling back a little bit. So I, I asked you what has been the your the most pleasant surprise. Flipping that around and saying, okay, so that's the thing that has happened. What? What are you most – I mean as you continue this journey, what are you most looking forward to? That's, that's kind of a tricky question, but I, I, you know, do you know what I mean by that? Like what's – as you look down the road, you're like, oh, I can't wait until X.
1: There are, uh, there are two things that uh, – two hopes that I have that, uh, that I sort of look down the road and yearn for. But one is the ability to begin a project – think it all the way through in Clojure as a software developer, do everything that I need to do in the language with a minimum of friction. Uh, that's that's going to be a nice day for Clojure when uh, someone new to the language can come in and uh, get their business rolling uh, with a minimum of fuss or when I personally can start a project and don't feel like the setup wears me out Hmm. Uh, the other thing is actually has nothing to do with closure itself, but has to do with the community. Uh, the closure community, as it gets new blood in, as it gets uh, a, a broader focus, um, I think working within that community uh, outside of relevance is, uh, is going to be a more pleasant
0: experience. Uh, can you clarify what you mean there? I'm not sure what you're saying.
1: The closure community, by and large, can be a little
0: hostile to newcomers. Hmm.
1: I'm still a newcomer.
0: That is that is fascinating because I and so first of all, I want to say that obviously, I I totally believe you because <laughs> I haven't been a newcomer for quite a, quite a while. Uh, but that's interesting because I I've heard the opposite. I've heard that the the closure community is actually, um, really good and, and maybe that's relative to the common list community, which has a kind of a rep on that. But do you mean hostile in the sense of like, um, well, I mean, for example, there are ways in which it is certainly suboptimal to newcomers in that like there are pages out of the internet that are the top Google hits for whatever, getting started with closure that are simply wrong, that are out of date. And so I think that's a form of hostility. Is there something else that you're talking about?
1: So the first thing, uh, the... (laughs) <laughs> the out-of-dateness of some of the, uh, some of the documentation and um, information about Closure that's out there is definitely one aspect. Um, the Even the up-to-date documentation can be a little bit hard to parse. Uh, I, I looked uh, at Mapcat the other day and looked at the doc string on that, and I had to read it four or five times. It just was not sitting in my head it had too many too. it required too much unpacking for me to process quickly which kind of put a crimp in my day um so there's that but the community itself uh, i think rewards people that come to the community uh with a with a certain point of view and if that point of view is skeptical then that's uh it can be a problem
0: interesting Uh,
1: I feel like in order to really get the warm embrace of the uh, the closure community at large, you have to have already drank the Kool Aid before you even show up.
0: Huh. Well, I, I have to say, as as a member of the closure community, I consider myself a member of the closure community. I totally take that to heart, and I will I will work to make that less true. Um, so, wow, that's really that's really good feedback. Uh, you know, always a little hard to hear, but um. Totally awesome. D- uh, oh, I had to follow up on that. Um, so a, so- I,
1: I can I can expand on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, please. Um, I was at a uh, closure conference. Uh, it was uh, fall of 2011. Actually, it was the first one I ever attended, um, and I'm not going to name names. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I watched one of the speakers um, run down JavaScript as a language, which is fine. It has its issues but then proceed to run down and laugh at JavaScript programmers. And I feel like you want to run down a language, that's fine. You want to criticize the features of of a language, that's great. But uh, we're all software developers. We're all trying to do the same thing. We should have a little bit of respect for each other. That one incident, for me, set a tone which I saw echoed forward as as I crept closer and closer toward wanting to implement Clojure. Uh, And I find myself being hampered as a developer, uh, from engaging with the community because of this reinforcement of these ideas.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I uh, that that's I, I gotta say like again I'm not I don't want to like I I want to say that I totally believe you. It just hasn't been my experience. Not the not the JavaScript side. I think there's definitely a a sense in which, uh, and I'm speaking for everyone, which I realize is a no no, but that the closure community you know, believes that there's some aspects of the language that we've adopted that are superior to many aspects in other languages as JavaScript. But I certainly haven't observed that sort of uh, extending it. Well, I don't know. That's a good question. Like, if someone really thinks that OO is better, would that be something that we as a group would say, well, you clearly don't get something, or could we, could we respect that view? Huh. That's something to think about. I don't, I don't think I have an answer off the tip of my tongue. Oh, that's really good. I mean, that's like I said, that's really good feedback. And clearly, clearly, the fact that even one person has observed that means that uh, it's something that we have to be vigilant for, because um, that is not cool, right? That's just not the way it should be. It should be because every there's no tool that's appropriate for everything, right? I'm a huge closure fan. I have, I have maybe not bet, but certainly put my career directly on top of closure, right? And. Uh, and I still don't think that, you know, it's the right tool for every situation. I mean, to pick a trivial example, I wouldn't write device driver in closure, right? Duh. But, but that and that's a trivial example. But you know, I mean, Rails, another good example. We have Rails as a as relevance to the company, we have Rails in our toolkit. If what I'm writing is a is a is a website that fits uh, a set of criteria that cover a lot of things, right? Uh, you know, we should do it in Rails, right? I mean, especially closure's not at the situation right now where oh, you have a SQL database, you need a bunch of forms, and I'm not trying to reduce Rails to being just about this, but but there's the sweet spot. And I actually was on a project recently where um, we couldn't do Rails. The customer had constraints that said, we, we won't do Ruby, we have our own essentially political reasons for this. Um, but, you know, in the middle of that project, which we got to do in Clojure using Datomic, which was super fun for me, um, I said, you know, this really ought to be in Rails. And so, you know, I think if you can't keep an open mind like that, you're really not um, uh, optimizing your software engineering experience. Anyway, I'll stop my rant there since this is supposed to be me interviewing you, not the other way around.
1: No, that, that, that's fine. Um, so, I mean, you and I have been in the industry for a while uh, through various technologies, and, I'm, I'm, and I've migrated through uh, various roles and companies and uh, have had to deploy on a fistful of different operating systems in a bunch of different languages. And what you end up with is at least – uh, I'm. I'm. I tend to have a pretty pragmatic approach to things. There's. Uh, there's a job for every tool and a tool for every job. Uh, sometimes Sinatra is the right answer, and sometimes Rails is the right answer, and sometimes Closure is the right answer, and sometimes write a freaking shell script. You know, yeah. depending on what you're doing, um, different technologies, different uh, tool stacks have. Different sweet spots, different things that they're good at. And uh, it takes a little bit of wisdom sometimes to figure out when what you're doing is not – you're do, when you're doing it wrong because you've chosen the wrong technology. It's especially uh, hard to change midstream. Like, oh, well, this is – I've written a Rails app when I needed to write a Sinatra app. Or uh, I've – you know, mucked about with this uh, this whole thing in uh, in Java when I could have replaced this with a very simple uh, Perl add-on to a uh, to Apache.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that that happened. That's happened to me before. It's like I have all this overhead now because I didn't really want to mess with Perl. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and it's that. in our nature as developers to be explorers and to try to use the thing that we are interested in at the moment to solve all of our problems. When all you have is a hammer, uh, everything looks like a nail, right? We all know that one. But if all you think you have or all you care about is the hammer, then that ends up being – the same thing ends up being true in a lot of cases.
0: Mm, that's true. That's a variation of, the, the, of Joel Spolsky's blub paradox – or no, that's Paul Graham's blub paradox, right? Right, you don't know okay. what you don't know? I, I don't know if you've yeah. seen that one or not but uh have you I don't, have you read that one? I have not. Oh, it's a, it's a pretty famous um I I I'll relate it even though I it, it might sound like I'm turning it around a little bit and I don't mean it that way because I think there's a sense in which it very much applies to what you're saying. So so Paul Graham, very famous list programmer, uh he wrote this he's written a series of essays that are really quite good. One of them is entitled The Blood Paradox. Um or it might not be the title, but he refers to the blood paradox, which is, you know, you talk to people, this is actually a good thing to ask you about. You talk to people about, you know, language X, and actually you've probably experienced this twice, because I bet you've experienced it at least with Ruby and then Clojure. Um, And they're like, well, I don't know language X. It doesn't sound that great. And you're like, what are you talking about? It's got metaprogramming or it's got macros or whatever. And they're like, yeah, I don't need that. And the reason they don't need it is because, you know, they've got their hammer and they've got their nails, and they've never used a nail gun, right, or a CNC router or whatever analogy you want to use, and so, like, they don't have a way to contextualize the advantages. Right. Uh, I wonder if, if you could if you could comment on that based on your experience moving to, I assume that whatever you came to Ruby from, it was something that was, um, in many respects, less powerful than Ruby.
1: I don't know if less powerful would be the way to, to characterize it. Um... I did a lot of work in Java, and I've done a fair amount of work in C Sharp. Uh, I had a sort of a passing affair with with Ruby, uh, coming out of a Java relationship, <laughs> before moving on to C Sharp, and then coming back to Ruby because Ruby was just more fun. And sometimes in your life, that's what you're after.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Making sure we're talking about programming languages.
0: Right. All right. right.
1: Okay. Um, the sentiment that that uh, that this that this paradox expresses is is one that uh, drives, I think, uh, those of us in software development who are always trying to figure out everything that what we're into can do. It's the reason that we try to use the hammer or the screwdriver for basically everything. Um, the trick is picking up the next tool when you're done mm. and continuing your experimentation with, hey, you know, can I write a uh, a reasonable web service using only Bash?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, what, interesting. Let's try that. Uh, of course. No is the answer,
0: uh, <laughs> but you learn <laughs> but, something.
1: Yeah, but you learn something, right? So you try, uh, you try out all the different, uh, all the different tools on everything you can think of to gain that context mm-hmm. to to gain the ability to say, um, this is good or bad for this particular application, uh, this particular problem that we're trying to solve.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if people are lazy, you know. At, I'm certainly lazy about uh about some things. Um but being lazy about trying to learn new things and to spread your knowledge, uh to spread your experience as like far and as thin as possible is is not necessarily a great trait to have as a software developer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, there's another thing I want to talk to you about, but before we leave closure, uh we went super meta, <laughs> which was really interesting so I appreciate that your insight on that. Um but uh I, I kind of want to end on a happy note, you know, like we're, you know, what I mean, like
1: uh, we're I, not doing that.
0: Uh, no, I think we did some degree, but I want to bring the focus back to your experience with closure, and um, like, what else? What else should I have asked you about? Like, what else can you tell us about your experience learning? It doesn't have to be happy. Pick whatever you want, but it's like, what? What? I mean, what else would you like to tell people about your your journey through closure to date?
1: <laughs> this is this is gonna sound like a, a sound like a negative, but it's but it's not. Um when i learn a particular piece uh i get another you know uh command down pat. i get another library that i understand uh, in closure it really feels like an accomplishment and there are a lot of uh very basic tools that cut very far sometimes i don't really realize how far through how much crap they can cut uh until later and it's always like this pleasant little oh yeah it also oh i can use that this whoa yeah as things unfold and possibilities unfold in the head. Uh, I've had that experience with Closure more so than any other language.
0: Hmm, interesting, so, do you th- so I think uh, a lot of people that are listening to this, and I, I should ask you, have you seen um, Rich's uh, Simple Made Easy talk? I have. Okay, so do you th- is that kind of the effect you're talking about?
1: Some parts of that talk, yes. Mm. Uh, it's, it's not quite as broad or sweeping. But there are places where I'm reminded of uh, the noisy cricket in the movie uh, Men in Black right. where, uh, you know, Will Smith has this tiny, tiny little gun that looks so innocuous at first. And then he points it at something and, like, levels half a block. Right. Like, oh, there's a lot of those, uh, <laughs> a lot of those noisy crickets laying around in enclosure and discovering them and then realizing their full potential is a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I, I really like that analogy. All right. Well, um, that is actually an awesome place to to switch gears because the other thing that I have that I can't let you off without talking more about is something that um, we've mentioned it at least once on the podcast. We talked about it with uh, Justin recently, um, and that is uh, Ink Relevance, which is was your idea and a, a thing that you have been doing a huge amount of work to to realize, and it's something truly awesome. So I wonder if you could. Uh, in case anybody didn't catch the other episode or, or we didn't describe it very fully, I wonder if you could explain to people what Ink Relevance is.
1: So the underlying um, drive for Ink Relevance is a regular quarterly update by uh, Relevance's leadership. This seems like a simple thing, right? Oh, you know, talk for 15 or 20 minutes about how we're doing as a company. W- but we have a lot of interesting things going on, and sometimes fifteen or twenty minutes isn't necessarily you know a, a lunch update a couple of times uh a month or you know once a month may not necessarily be be enough to cover it so setting aside a dedicated time where we all get together uh join handscuba up no that's not <laughs> it um w- we all get together and uh get to be relevants in the same place listening to uh the folks that lead the company and determine the company's direction give us the broader vision. Uh, that was really important to me. It's really important to me here. We, we have retreats um, on occasion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The amount of camaraderie that you develop during those retreats, uh, the amount of FaceTime you get with people that you don't see ever because you're never in Durham at the same time, or, you know, you're both full-time remote and you're never in Durham period or, or whatever is incredibly valuable in establishing the types of personal relationships that allow people to work together extremely well, especially in a situation like pairing where, you know, there can be disagreements and, um, you're, you have audio with someone, you want to understand their jokes, you want to be able to reflect their sense of humor and get a handle. What's, uh, uh, you know, what's off limits and what's not. Mm -hmm. Um, so at the same time that we're getting the 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 big brain dump from uh from the mothership, we're also building these relationships. The nice second day um of relevance gives everyone a chance to talk back. Not necessarily to uh, to the leadership directly, but to each other. Here's the things that we've been working on. Here here's good ideas that we think we want to give an hour to and just talk about. Uh sometimes they're neat little tricks with, uh, um, you know, whatever editor makes sense at the moment, or, um, in the case of Clinton's talk, here's a survey of a bunch of neat language ideas that are coming out that aren't remotely related to what we're doing, but they're neat. Uh, we all sit together, we, we learn together, we eat together and we have a, a little bit of what a Baptist might refer to as fellowship, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's a powerful thing. We walk away from it feeling a little closer to each other, uh, a lot better informed since we have our little mini conference at the end, and with a clearer idea of what uh, relevance is going to be doing in the
0: next three months. So, we've done this just the once so far, yep. with another one coming up. Uh, well, today is February 1st for us recording this. The next one's coming up in about three weeks. This episode will probably go out after that, but regardless. You know, we'll have had two by the time most people are listening to this. Um, so the last time, uh, something I thought was a really good idea was that um, everyone had to talk for at least – I forget if there was a minimum time. But everybody, had, everybody in the company had to speak. Um, yeah. And that was not just the technical people. That wasn't just the, the devs and the architects, but, but, but everyone had to get up and say something. Um, are we going to do that again this time?
1: I don't think we're going we're gonna to ask everybody to speak this time, but uh, everyone who's, who's joined the company – uh, everyone who would like to. Um, I, I think that's a great way to, to get someone's voice out. You know, we don't talk to, we just don't talk to everybody uh, enough. Again, it's a factor of being a distributed company, right? We don't have uh, a lot, I don't have a lot of uh, opportunity to have a, a nice conversation with Diane or uh, you know, even Lynn, who is basically connected with everybody, but generally, you're talking about very uh, narrowly focused topics dealing with whatever is the crisis at the moment. Right. To give somebody a chance to just voice whatever's on their mind for three to five minutes go. Uh, right. We call that speak relevance in the schedule. I think that's uh, I think that's going to stick.
0: Cool. And that actually brings me to the name uh, Inc. Relevance. I mean, maybe you could explain that to people.
1: Um, well, we're Relevance Inc. Uh, of course... Uh, if you put parens around that, that makes something clever. The name was actually devised by Michael Nygard. He suggested it. It looked good. Uh, it was a nice little closure joke, and um, so that's what we stuck with. It is no grand, uh, no grand scheme, no no huge joke, but there it is.
0: Yeah, I like it. <laughs> but then again, I am a huge nerd and a you know closure programmer. So um, the the other thing I wanted to ask was you touched on this a little bit, but um, was there so I mean, we had been doing something very, very small subset of this before, which was actually something that I set up that I that I liked and I think this greatly expands on it and is, is far superior. Um which was called Remoter Week, where it was where I you know, I'm remote, you're remote too. I don't think people know, but you're in um uh Charlotte, correct? Yes. Okay. So you know like you know, we would both try to go down to Durham, but you you go there and if let's say you go just make it simple you go once a month half the company is remote that means that if you're there there's a good chance that three quarters of the other remote people aren't there and so you see the people that are in Durham frequently and everyone else not at all so the the idea behind Remoter Week was um, you know let's all synchronize so we can go at the same time so you can see everyone um, at the same time and obviously uh, Inc Relevance does that but then, you know, we, we had that going. It, it was there something, so I mean, you, again, you touched on us a little bit, but like what really inspired you? Like what was the thing that said you say, well, we really need to be doing this because we had something again. It was a very, not the same thing, but, but what, what kind of made you say we got to level this up?
1: Okay. So remoter week, uh, was a great time to, to, to come back to the office to, to come back to, uh, uh, the home office and, um, uh, Have some social interaction. Social interactions is really important. It lacked two things. Uh, One, a dedicated and organized program. Um, That dump of information from all of the people that we want to hear from regularly. Uh, I.e. a normal quarterly report or quarterly meeting uh, type of things. Uh, The other piece that it was missing was Remotor Week was always um, show up if you want. By reducing the frequency and making attendance not necessarily compulsory, but very, very strongly uh, suggested, there's no there's no question as to whether or not ah can I make it down that week? Can I not make it down that week? You know, you find a way to work it into your schedule, Uh, and because it's less frequent, that's not so onerous a task. Uh, There's a third thing, and that is, remoter weeks cost X many dollars. Everyone got their, you know, their room at the local bed and breakfast or the hotel or, uh, you know, stayed with stayed with friends when that was possible. Um, Inc. relevance allowed us to, by knowing that there were going to be a large number of people, do things like rent an Airbnb house where, you know, six or seven people stay together and the expense drops uh, dramatically.
0: Right. And I think you could argue, too, just from a value perspective, if you come together and, um, I mean, for example, at this coming uh, relevance. we actually have plans to get everyone that we can working on this uh, certain project that's not come to light yet and and that's like that's I think we're going to get a lot of the social stuff that you said but we're also going to have i I just think that's more valuable in an absolute sense to the company given like you say we've got to fly people down we've got to put people up there's extra meals to be bought and all that good stuff you know it's it's a reality right these things take dollars and so mm-hmm we're going to get something out of that and we're still going to fill all the, all the awesome stuff of hanging out with each other and going to grab a beer in the evening and, and, and seeing people face to face. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah.
1: We get to, uh, during the upcoming Ink Relevance turn all of our weaponry against a particular target at the same time. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm excited about it and uh, a little curious.
0: Yeah, uh, me too. I mean, for sure. I, I think, uh, there's a ton of potential, and, and the thing I'm reminded of a little bit is um, I, I don't know if you listen to to the show or not, but you're aware that uh, we had we had a few people do the, um, the Rails Rumble, mm. and, and, you know, 48 hours of coding, and, and they wrote a whole app, and if you've gone to look at it, it's really nice. I mean, it's really nice, period, and it's amazing given that it was 48 hours, and it just kind of goes to show you that, um, you know, not that we have – all the talent in the world but we've certainly got a high concentration of it Um and it's just exciting to think um that you know like you say let's let all the weapons point in the in the same direction that is a really good way to put at it to put it that's that's really cool
1: yeah i'm sometimes surprised uh... with things like the uh... uh the rails rumble and uh, startup weekend and node knockout uh... these very limited time uh... reasonably small team events by very motiv- motivated people who are excited about what they're doing. Uh, there was a startup weekend uh, last weekend here in Charlotte. And you end up with these, these fantastic results that sometimes just boggle the mind. And I like to think that uh, you know, we have the firepower at relevance to, to even take that up a level. Mm. If we put everybody in a room and coordinate it well and uh, just turn this loose. Then uh, we're going to be stunned by the results. Yeah, and, and I really look forward to the uh, to the follow up when we can say, Hey, this is what we started with, and this is how we approached the problem. Uh, this is what we this is what we did, and this was the result. I think it's going to be. I think I think we're going to be amazed at it. Oh,
0: so I I would love to invite you to come on the show when you know when we've got this thing out in the light of the day, um, and after. We've had a chance to do that. It would be great. It would be really cool. I, I think like it's been really interesting hearing your analysis of the closure community. It's just I feel like you're really, really insightful guy, and I've felt that every time I've talked to you about anything. Um, it would be really fun to have a show where we get your perspective on how that uh, uh, how that event went from the perspective of like you say of were we effective in in really advancing this agenda. Would you be willing to do that? Absolutely. That'd be really cool. Well, I know you have other obligations this afternoon, and this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, I, I particularly appreciate um, uh, your uh, comments about the things that you found to be m- m- suboptimal in the closure community. That's really good for for me, just as an individual in the community, to hear because um, it doesn't it doesn't match exactly the way I perceive things. But that I have to take that as me not perceiving it correctly, right? Because you're sitting here going, well, I'm a newcomer and this is what I experienced. All right, well, that must be what at least some newcomers are experiencing. So I can take that as, a, as an action item. But of course, all of your insights about, about closure and just the, the conversation was really interesting. Um,
1: but I learned the usefulness of, of the being able to express and take criticism actually uh, during my tenure at Relevance, uh, during a personal retro when I said, okay, everybody let me have it. Just Just let me have it and uh, and there was a huge pile on and it was very very hard to hear these uh, these criticisms of of not only like my, my technical depth and um, the quirks of uh, of 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 the code that I that I release and um, you know what it was like to pair with me it wasn't all bad but there was a, there, you know I asked specifically for harsh criticism and uh, at the at the end of my personal retro my desk collapsed which i felt like that was the icing on the cake <laughs> <laughs> but I walked away from that experience, uh, I think a, a bigger and better person because I'd specifically told them to take the gloves off Yeah, and like really hit me. Yeah. Um, and I, it's, it's refreshing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've had the same experience. So, what's well, that's cool. Well, um, before we go, is there anything else that we should, uh, talk about? I, I, that, what, anything else you have on your mind, stuff you want to get out there?
1: Uh, no, nothing, nothing comes to mind. Um, it has been a a good week, uh, and the first week that I've been able to work exclusively in closure, and I look forward to more.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it's been. I'm I'm really after talking to you, especially. Um, I'm really glad that you're working on the thing you're working on. It's, it's pedestal. I know we've mentioned the word a few name uh, times on the, on the show. We can't say what it is yet, but uh, uh, maybe by the time this goes out, people will know what we've been working on. But but yeah, I, I'm really glad. Like I say, especially after this discussion, th- to have you on the project because I think your perspective is going to be super important we are the you know the thing we're working on is something that we want people that are in your position to be able to approach and so clearly you've thought a lot about like that experience and so I I know that we can count on you to speak up and say this is gonna this is gonna be not great because of this and we should fix this
1: yeah, keeping quiet's not really in my strong suit.
0: <laughs> yeah, that seems to be a trait for a lot of people at Relevance. Um well, anyway, this has been great. I this has been super cool. I mean, it's one of the regrets I have about working at Relevance that um that you and I just never worked together. In fact, I think at our the first retreat that we were both at, um you made a comment to that effect, like there's Craig. I never work with him. I forget the rest of what you're talking about, but you you singled me out as and it and has more or less remained true. So any opportunity I have to sit down and talk with you, as I have a few times, is always really rewarding for me. So thanks a ton for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, me too. Thank you for, uh, thank you for the chance to just – even if we only get to sit down and talk when we're doing this thing, it's still a pleasure.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, cool. Well, we got to close it down with some music, and uh, we, we're going to throw that to you. What should we play?
1: Oh man, uh, I want to be sedated is a nice, uh, outgoing seems like uh, trailer for this.
0: All right, fantastic, <laughs> I love it. Uh, all right then, well I will thank you, thank you once again, Ben, so much for coming on the show, and uh, thanks to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next time on Think Relevance, the podcast. <laughs>